Resurrected, I guess, appropriately enough for Halloween, or undead, depending on how you look at it. Um, Misery Movies Podcast, which is a production of MiseryTourism.com. Got to sneak the website address in whenever we can. Um, we are. This is actually our first Misery Movies podcast in holy shit, guys, nearly a year. And yeah. last year around this time, we were, oh my god, you, you fucker! Oh boys, I got it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, if you're not watching this uh, on YouTube, you won't know why. Rudy has is. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I'm going. So you know, I'm going to introduce everyone, and then I'm going to explain that. But anyway. You are uh, Jesus Christ, Rudy! <laughs> <laughs> you, you motherfucker! Oh, it's always something. Uh, so, um, uh, this around um, this time last year, we did a um, series of misery movies podcasts. Uh, we did a Halloween movie marathon, and um, we watched a bunch of kind of halloween horror themed movies and we discussed them on the podcast and it was such a success we decided to bring it back this year and when i say such a success i'm not talking in terms of views or likes or attention because we got none of those things <laughs> i'm just talking in terms of uh the fact that we actually enjoyed it and it wasn't quite as painful as our podcast experiences usually are aside from zombievers Aside from Zombievers, which was the podcasting part of that was fine. The yeah. movie was was a horrendous. celluloid abortion. <laughs> that yes, that's a great way to put it. I must, now, Mister Bones is screaming. So, I'm joined by um, I, I'm Will, and I'm joined by a couple of our usual contributors, Misery Tourism co-founder Rudy, who is apparently manifesting as a computer-generated anthropomorphic fox woman, which I wasn't told about yep. until the podcast had already started, and that's why I was freaking out. Uh, you want to say hi, Fox Rudy? Hey. So is this... Um, do you have something to tell us? Is this like... Is this how you identify now? Are we going to have to... Are we going to have to have a long conversation about this? Um, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk about pronouns and stuff like that later. I mean, you you're want. a female fox, oh. so you're still a... <laughs> pronouns are, uh, okay. are limit-based you know and offer, what can I say? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, uh, oh. And we're also joined by, um, our Misery Tourism's resident horror movie expert, Brandon. The beard is back. The beard is back in town. Except you're actually <laughs> in a totally different town. And you never left. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, don't, I don't fucking know. Jesus Christ. You're in the this same town as me. Faster already. Fuck it. We're not even. <laughs> fuck, fuck it. it. <laughs> this, 
this is awful. We we are not even. This is not even witty. This isn't fun. If this is not fun for you in the audience, this is not fun for us either. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to try not. If you are listening to this podcast because you've okay, my cat just jumped. This is a disaster. Unbelievable. I have to give my. I'm gonna have to give my chair to the cat right now. I'm gonna have to give him the chair. The comfortable chair, and now I have to go into the kitchen. But go into the kitchen and get the, <laughs> this rock hard, oh. awful, uncomfortable wooden chair oh. to sit on. Um, and and Mr. Bones, I hopefully you'll have something to say if you're intruding. I mean, there was a cat in the movie, so maybe. <laughs> have, oh, no. The movie we're going to be talking about tonight is a girl walks home alone at night <laughs> which um is a persian language i need to read the the <laughs> wikipedia summary of this film a girl walks home alone at night is a 2014 persian language american vampire western <laughs> just in case yes. um oh you're yeah. wondering exactly how many adjectives they could use to describe a movie in a single sentence um yeah and we'll probably yeah. circle around back to that um yeah so this um i should maybe add the adjective feminist there although um we might have some disagreement about that um yeah oh yeah so back to um <laughs> As uh, Brandon put it before the podcast started, three three dudes mansplaining the feminist vampire movie—just yes. what all y'all wanted to listen to. Yep. So, just in case you're a first-time listener and for some reason you haven't turned this fucking thing off yet, <laughs> uh, what we do is we generally split the podcast into two halves. The first half of the podcast is um a spoiler free discussion of the movie so just in case you haven't seen this obscure persian language vampire western you can safely listen to the first half of the podcast at the end of the first half of the podcast each of us will give our review of the film very briefly <laughs> and then after that uh when we launch into our second half that's when the spoilers come out we are going to do a deep dive into the film and talk about specific scenes we liked or didn't like, talk about the ending of the movie, maybe the fate of some of the characters. Um, and we'll give you a warning before that happens. If you're a spoiler phobe like me, you can safely turn the podcast off at that time. We don't have sponsors, so we don't care if you only listen to half the podcast. Um, or you could do us one better, hit pause, watch the movie, come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. Or if you've already seen the film or you don't give a shit about spoilers, you can just listen to the whole thing. Cool. So, Rudy, you picked this film. A yep. girl walks home alone at night. Do you want to start the discussion off? Okay, so this is a movie uh, that's... I picked it because I personally was interested in it um, for reasons I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, basically, I think I saw one of the trailers for it, and I was like, oh, that looks uh, 
maybe infuriating, maybe really awesome. Um, so, but anyway, it's about uh, this vampire, um, a female vampire, who stalks men in some imaginary kind of Iranian question mark town. Yeah, uh, I mean, the it's... town. Sorry. Yeah, uh, it's. It's called Bad City. So Bad uh, City, yeah. And it's like this. <laughs> it's like a past. Uh, well, not a pastiche, but I guess like a like a kind of combination of like things, like a combination of like American underworld and like weird noir shit, plus I guess some traditional Iranian stuff too. Yeah, I think pastiche is actually exactly the white right word. It's a pastiche of. I think on paper it's a pastiche of like um, a kind of desolate Iranian city and a old west ghost town. Right, um, right, right. And um, we probably don't want to get too much into like the plot details, but uh, long story right. short, there is this Iranian vampire girl who right. hunts. Bad men in bad cities. She she preys upon kind of predatory men, um, yeah. And also other stuff happens. There's also a um, young Iranian man who is um, who kind of gets launched into this uh, criminal underworld lifestyle. He starts off as as these things always happen. As he as these kind of as these plots always go in movies like this, he starts off as kind of a good kid and gets dragged into this sort of seedy criminal underworld. And his story intersects with the story of the Iranian vampire girl, um, who's just called the girl in the cast list, in um potentially unpredictable ways that we're not going to get into in the spoiler-free portion of the movie. Um, So, quick and dirty plot synopsis aside, Rudy, did you have something you wanted to talk about about this film, first and foremost? Hmm. Um, Well, first of all, it's in black and white. It uh, is. I thought it was interesting. Uh, The whole... Sorry to interrupt, but just as an aside, that was one of the reasons AJ gave for not wanting to watch the movie. I was like, just sit down and watch the movie, AJ, and talk about it with us. She's like, it's in black and white. I'm like, yes, (laughs) it is. What? I thought she liked black and white stuff, or is that someone else? I thought that was like her thing, her aesthetic. No, her aesthetic is color. She's very into color. She's very opposed to black and white. And I don't know. Sometimes people say, oh, this is a black and white movie. It looks boring because it doesn't have color, which is. I see. Oh, that's right. She's in like those Wes Anderson, like super colorful, like fucking. Yes. Those abominations. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a black We're and white. We're going podcast shitting on Jason <laughs> movies because he's not here. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's in black and white. It's in black and white. It's got a kind of noir, uh, almost 90s type of vibe to it, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, 
I'd like to talk a little bit about the, uh, I guess the costuming without sort of getting into spoilers too much. Yeah, I don't think the costuming is a spoiler at all. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the costuming for this movie is kind of like a combination, I guess, of things that might be seen as streetwear in like Iran Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, both, I guess, you know, post-revolution and pre-revolution in some cases. You've got like the little boy who's kind of dressed like something that might be around like when the Shah and shit was there or whatever. And um, then you've got like the, you've got all the, what do they call them? The garment, the traditional garments, I guess the chador. Yeah. Um, And I really like, uh, I really like the costuming of the main, uh, the vampire girl, basically. Yeah. The girl. Yes. Yeah. I think that, the costuming in this movie is generally very good, but the costuming of the girl is like transcendentally good. Isn't it though? Oh my goodness. Like, first of all, the use of the, is it Chador? Chador? Yeah, Chador, I think. Chador? I mean, I guess Chador, Chatter, whatever it is, it has some kind of uh, like, it's a traditional garment, traditional Persian garment or whatever, but right. Um, to our listeners who don't have Wikipedia open in front of them, uh, I actually, it's a good thing I use Wikipedia because in my, uh, complete, like insensitive, <laughs> um, lack of knowledge of Iranian culture, I would have called it a hijab, but the hijab is simply the head wrap, right? And mm-hmm. it's also not a burqa, which is a full body sort of right. thing. The tatar is like a cape that includes, or a, a cloak rather, that includes the headdress, if that makes any yeah. sense. it's So you'll see this a lot in um, uh, movies set in the Middle East. But I like the differ the difference between those three articles of of um, traditional cultural clothing is something that I think is often not clear to um, Western bigots like us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I might be wrong, but I think uh, as far as the black chador, I think. I read somewhere that like the black ones were generally reserved before the revolution for like funerals and mourning. Oh, see, that was my assumption. Yeah. And so like the fact that she's, as far as I know, the only one in the movie wearing a black one, because I remember there was a white one that had like some Mm -hmm. decorations on it towards the end Mm -hmm. and everybody else is wearing like some different like combinations of other stuff, like more Western type clothing. Yeah. More Western type. Exactly. I think the fact that she's the only one with a black one, you know, with this, you know, it, it just it pretty much screams vampire and, you know, yeah. <laughs> undead I or mean, death it, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I actually wasn't aware of that, the cultural significance of that, although that makes a huge amount of sense. But just aesthetically, like the use of this as a proxy for the vampire, the traditional Western vampire is absolutely inspired and brilliant just because of what it, first of all, it, in these scenes and 
she also has a skateboard in a few scenes. I don't think that's yeah. a spoiler. But <laughs> there are scenes where she... It's like, weird, but not a spoiler. There are so <laughs> many... I don't even know where to talk, uh, where to start on this. Um, there are... So there are scenes where this garment is flowing behind her just like the traditional vampire black vampire oh, yeah. cape that you see in like uh you know bella lugosi movies or whatever you know and right. like and you, it so it immediately conveys to like a western audience like the western image of a vampire but it, it's also loaded with all this like Iranian cultural significance. And on top of that, though, it it's this weird thing where it makes her the most traditional, like culturally conservative looking character yeah. in the film. Yeah. yeah. Which is really fascinating to me because it's, in some ways it fits perfectly with the Western vampire aesthetic, which is mm. that the vampire, like our idea of a vampire is fixed kind of in the 19th century, right? In this kind right. of weird, like mm. uh, corny kind of um, Dracula image where he's got the long black cape and he has the black suit on and all of that. And uh, actually this is weird because cause last year we started our Halloween movie marathon with another vampire film. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, where also the vampire, where all of the vamp, um, what was the name of that? Uh, um, what we do in the shadows. Thank you, B boy. What we do in the shadows, where a big joke there was how out of touch they were with the present time and place. <laughs> and so now we have, a, we're starting with another vampire film, but it's also another case where the vampire is intentionally displaced in time. And I'm going to call this out right now as an aside. If the director of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night within the next year directs a movie for the MCU, um, (laughs) I think that Disney owes us money for drawing (laughs) attention to their pre-existing vampire movie because, uh, come on. Yeah, I mean, that is, it certainly has, it it must have been us, right? God, I mean, yeah. Or one listener just happens to be yeah. an executive at Disney. You're welcome, Taika Waititi. You are very welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually I haven't seen um, the new the Thor um, whatever Ragnarok, right? Fantastic. I don't. Absolutely but I, hilarious. I'm still refusing to see Marvel movies because I think they're ruining cinema because I'm a snob. But anyway, let's not get let's not go down that. <laughs> Let's not go down that yes, road. Yes. Um, <clears throat> that would become the whole podcast. Instead, so what's interesting here about the use of the chador or chatter? Or, oh my God, so some <laughs> someone is going to listen to this and get very upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what oh. is interesting though is that not only does it evoke that kind of anachronistic. Um, look that Western vampires have, but it also 
evokes a kind of cultural traditionalism, which right. I think is really interesting in this film, especially since in American vampire movies, like the eroticism of the vampire or the vampire is usually like seductive in some way. And the vampire movies like are often about on some level, like sexuality and stuff. So right. to see a movie where at least superficially the vampire appears to be the most sexually repressed character, or at least the most like culturally conservative character at first right. glance right. because of the costuming is really interesting above and beyond just the fact that it's such a great reimagining of the traditional vampire like cape or cloak. Right. Oh yeah. And definitely. let's let's talk a little bit about the rest of her clothing. You know, there's the uh the striped uh oh, striker absolutely and, uh, striking <laughs> jeans and then the converse shoes, which really that really got me. Because like I <laughs> I always yeah. think like that that's something that really makes me wish I had thought of it because like you know, for uh you know, a super villain concept or something like that, that's just genius. Honestly. Like that I always when I first saw the movie I thought, well that's how I would dress one of my super villains, honestly, if I if I were, you know, making one up, that's how I would dress one. Because it evokes this kind of like this like I said, the film has a real, like, kind of 90s aesthetic, and I don't know if it's because of the black and white makes it look like a 90s music video or something. Yeah. It, I, uh, it just, like, the the clash of the traditional plus the more modern, I guess, is really, that gets at a lot of the themes that are wrapped up in the movie already, and I guess a lot of the, you know, the cultural stuff that's happening in Iran now and, you know, during the revolution, I guess too. But, um, I just thought that was, that's, that was a real brilliant visual metaphor or whatever for a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And put a pin in the nineties thing, because I do want to come back to that because yep. I think there's a whole discussion to be had there on some level. Oh, uh, people, do you want to weigh in on the costuming before I come back to the costuming? Yeah, I wanted to bring up the uh, the the drug lord character. Oh yeah, who I also thought the costuming was just amazing for. Mm. It was so simplistic, and yet at the same time, it it more or less called out exactly what he was, what he was all about. Yeah. It gave you such a characterization just from the visual elements of the the stereotypical tracksuit wearing, <laughs> you know, jewelry wearing, heavily tattooed, badly tattooed, yeah, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> typical thug look with the the very nice touch of the tattoo on the side of his head in uh, yeah in the Arabic language or persian language i i'm honestly not sure which i can't tell those languages apart because i don't read any of them but yeah. uh i thought yeah. that was a very nice touch of a almost middle easternizing approach of what we look at as a typical drug dealer here mm. yeah yeah, when I first saw the drug dealer, I was like, is that fucking Ninja from Die Antwerp? <laughs> 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 I was like, wow, is that, oh. like, what is going on here? 
because that's exactly that kind of, and he looks he almost looks like out of place in the rest of the movie but he, he's he in does. a good way because it, yeah. it makes it makes sense for the character and for yeah. what they're trying to do with that character but yeah i like that disconnect of having him look so sleazy right right and and so you know for lack of a better term so ghetto yeah while yeah. everyone else is in you know more typical suburban type gear or you know like with the vampires in that in that traditional combined with the the modern look it was yeah. it was good yeah, yeah i mean his costuming and his presentation is the most aggressively modern yeah of any of the characters in the film yeah in that there's like and i think that's intentional because i do too i'm just gonna say that most sleazy reprehensible characters in the film and i want that's something else to put a pin in is like what's going Mm -hmm. on here in this movie about Mm -hmm. the way it contrasts traditional culture and modern culture or like traditional yeah, conservative culture definitely a commentary there and modern like sexually liberated culture like right. there's an interest like really fascinating contrast going on there and also like the contrast between western culture and like i don't want to say eastern culture because it's not but iranian culture right and like especially like american western culture and there there's yeah. like a lot of tensions here between those things and the movie i think to its benefit doesn't draw hard fast distinctions or fall clearly on either side of the line in terms of favoring west over east or favoring right. Mm-hmm. a traditional conservative worldview over a more um modern liberated worldview which i think is is really mm-hmm. fascinating but it's all of that is very much tied up as you were saying rudy in the character of the girl mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. wearing this traditional piece of uh, of islamic dress right but otherwise is dressed like a western teenager <laughs> right, right yeah and yeah. that is really really interesting almost almost a westernized hipster yeah in yeah. a lot of ways yeah. um although and as rudy was saying there's definitely a real 90s vibe to the costuming though the converse yeah. shoes the oh, skateboard yeah. the 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 very particular kind of shirt she was wearing. I I don't think it's a polo I'm, because if I'm not didn't mistaken, have a collar, but too, uh, I think that's fairly common over in the Middle East too right now mm. is that their their modernized style is kind of where we were at 20 years ago. <laughs> that, I mean, like, could like be in terms in terms of dress and in terms yeah. of of what they're interested in. Mm. Right. There, but there's definitely that really interesting dichotomy mm-hmm. right there in her character. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and in how yeah. her character is costumed. Yeah. Now, before I before we talk about like I do want to answer the 
ask the question like is this a feminist movie <laughs> um which is once again great excuse me once again a great question for like three dudes to talk about <laughs> but before we do that i do want to talk a get at the 90s thing but in kind of a roundabout way <laughs> so this is a movie that i'm gonna go back to the wikipedia page and how they spin it well i'm gonna read that line again a persian language american vampire western hmm. tagged as the first iranian vampire western <laughs> um and That's later on there's a mention of of uh, spaghetti westerns and how this is supposed to be influenced by spaghetti westerns but what i see more than anything else when i watched this film or what i was reminded of more than anything else were actually um that were actually 90s films hmm. that were homages to genre films and spaghetti westerns yeah. like the work of tarantino like early tarantino early rodriguez uh jim jamush if i can pronounce his last name like mm -hmm. that's who i was thinking of when i was watching this movie I not the source material not spaghetti westerns and that is if you think about it like just the sheer number of cultural influences or artistic influences going into this film i mean let's dig backwards right let's try to like unpack this because this is really weird so this is a persian language film set in iran but it's not an iranian film it was made in america filmed in california i believe yep. by a director i hope i won't butcher her name anna lily amirpour who is of i believe iranian or persian extraction but was born in britain and emigrated to america and the film is loose the film claims to be inspired by spaghetti westerns but may actually it feels more like it was inspired by other films that were themselves inspired by spaghetti westerns and genre films and then spaghetti westerns are italian films working in an american genre yeah that were actually rip-offs of kurosawa films rip-offs of japanese films so yeah. just a sheer yeah. number of cultural influences and like this movie is an imitation of an imitation of an imitation of an imitation and yet and it didn't feel derivative didn't it i don't know that's I a conversation to have hmm. do you what do you think rudy do you think this movie felt derivative at all um i think with as many things going on uh, were going on and as much like ripping from things as it did i don't think it felt derivative uh as much as just like kind of a hodgepodge maybe i don't know if necessarily even in a bad way but a uh 
kind of like the result of like a random generator almost <laughs> like a, like a, you know some kind of procedural yeah. thing you know that takes from different elements but combines it into some kind of cohesive sort of cohesive whole yeah i will say yeah it did seem pretty cohesive to me yeah. um one thing that i thought got a little lost in the shuffle though like was the Iranian component of this film feels to some degree more like window dressing than anything else. Mm. Like this really to me feels like, like a, like a Tarantino film that happens to be in Persian, you know, right. or, right. or a Rodriguez film that happens to be in Persian. Um, mm -hmm. Which isn't necessarily to its detriment, but I, I do think it's kind of um, – I do think – I don't want to say insincere, but I do think that asking us to believe that this was – like it would be a lot more persuasive to say that this is actually a Persian-language spaghetti western if it was right. released 20 years ago. But right. now it's and it seems to be drawing so strongly on the influences of these directors and these filmmakers who were already inspired by right. spaghetti westerns and by old film noir movies and and all that that you can't you cannot imagine it just uh, it seems to me like you feel the influence of those intermediate filmmakers very strongly in this film to the point that it does feel to me a little derivative and a little bit like aside from a few brilliant scenes like it's struggling somewhat to find its own voice amid the sheer number of influences that it has yeah definitely But yeah, and so it does. It it feels like a '90s film that yeah. was inspired yeah. by a '70s film <laughs> that was inspired by a film from the '40s or multiple films from the '40s <laughs> that was inspired by you know so on and so yeah. forth. Um, yeah. But hmm. um, I don't know what it, before we launch onto another topic here or. In order to launch onto another topic here, either way, uh, B-Boy, did you have anything um, that you wanted to get us talking about? Oh, well, I think the the undercurrent of drug culture. Mm. I'm not going to go too deep because a lot of that's going to go into spoiler territory, but yeah. it's something that you see quite often when you're talking about a vampire movie you'll see these mm. these allegories and these connections to drug culture and particularly <clears throat> and i think i can say this safely without being a spoiler but heroin um right right, right. where it draws a parallel you know the it's a drug that kind of sucks the life out of people so it draws a very uncomfortable parallel with vampirism in general mm. same concept it's you know a puncture through the skin that gets into the bloodstream mm. so i thought that kind of putting that parallel of the addiction and the drug culture alongside this story about a vampire 
I thought that was a nice touch and it really resonated well with the black and white imagery for me. Yes, I mean that that heroine looks so good in black and white, right? <laughs> it does. When you, like I listen, I um am very much a teetotaler in all things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh but damn, like that heroin was heroin was like so pure, so white. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like hey, that actually well, you know, that's, like, that, that's not mind. that's not quite what I meant as far as that with the aesthetics, <laughs> obviously, but <laughs> Right, right. Like if for me having that black and white aesthetic, it it influences the emotion of the scene. Yeah. And mm. Something like that, especially, I feel like that black and white portrayal is, it's got, it carries a weight. Mm. And anything that deals with something like addiction should carry a weight. Mm. And it's one of those things, you know, is it a, is it a cheap stylistic decision to go black and white Mm. when you're dealing with a subject matter like that? That's up for debate. Mm. But in my opinion, I think it worked quite well. Yeah, yeah, I think the the black and white cinematography here was gorgeous and one of the strongest oh, yeah. features yeah. of the movie. Easily. Um I I I mean I I think that every scene is framed, pretty much every scene is framed in a really beautiful way and there are a lot of Oh yeah. several really wide angle kind of shots where you see like the shadows and the lighting and her cape and like all of these there's one where it's just her on the skateboard and there's i don't want to get into spoilers but against this like just big stone facade right and it is just an incredible yeah wide shot a visually haunting movie Mm. which is a fantastic fantastic thing yeah and i do want to add another note for our listeners we already discussed this before the podcast but the version that i listened to i did not have the proper codec in order to play it with sound so (laughs) i had the unique experience among the three of us of (laughs) of, uh viewing this as a silent black and white movie yeah with subtitles naturally and uh I think that may have actually enhanced the experience, but I'll definitely be giving this another watch to uh, actually enjoy it with the sound. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the sound here is actually... So on the one hand, I like the idea of watching it as a silent vampire film. I think that's really interesting given the history of vampires films, given yeah. like Nosferatu being the yeah. like preeminent... like um, That's the, that's the measuring stick. Yeah, exactly. In my opinion. To this day, I think that's the measuring stick for vampire movies. Right. And so that's interesting to me, the idea of viewing this as a silent film, particularly since there are subtitles anyway. um, So you wouldn't necessarily lose any of the plot by reading the film. Mm -hmm. But there is... But you do lose things like the tone of voice. You mm. you lose yeah. the music. You lose the the ambiance. You lose so many of those audible cues that can right. kind of key you into the tone of the movie. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that with that black and white cinematography, they they delivered that even without the sound mm. for me, which oh. was an interesting experience. Yeah. I and can't I think many that can do that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, certainly in terms of modern films that go for that aesthetic or even modern films that pretend to be um, or, you know, essentially are silent films. Like, I don't know if either of you saw the saw the artist, which was a Academy Award nominee a few years back and possibly even an Academy Award award winner a few years back if you haven't don't bother it's crap it's (laughs) it's another one of these academy award winners it's actually just hollywood giving itself a nice big pat on the back like isn't our art like one of these films for which there's nothing else but film and it isn't even a particularly interesting like um dissection of silent films or it really doesn't have anything at all to say it's a derivative piece of shit uh, but there you go. i mean it's called the artist so i mean what would you really expect what was I... but oh on this movie i do think though if you viewed this as a silent film as b-boy is the music and the music here is really interesting because fascinating mix of of songs in that you have some pieces that sound like somewhat like traditional Iranian music. Then you have some pieces that sound like like basically American Western music. And then you have some straight up American pop music in there yeah. as well with English vocals. Yeah. Um, interestingly, and this, this is another thing that um, actually, you know what? Put a pin in that. Let's talk about that later and how um, that's used with specific characters because I think mm. there's something really interesting that happens there. But I think it's almost a spoiler to talk about it in this part. True, true. Um, yeah. Uh, Rudy, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about here in the first part of our discussion? Um, not really. I know. Uh, I know somebody brought up feminism or whatever. Ah, yes. Uh, I don't so much want to talk about that, but I guess <laughs> since a lot of the <laughs> reviews and stuff, you know, mention the feminist right. themes and whatever of the movie. Um, yeah, so uh, let, let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you guys straight up: Do you think this is a feminist film? <laughs> Three guys, come on, come on, uh, come on, man up. <laughs> to an extent, I think it is. Uh, I think there are a lot of overtones that are relevant to uh, to things that are going on today, as far as that front. I know that's a really indirect way of saying, yes, yes, I think it is a feminist film, but I think that there are definitely elements of feminism at work and elements of, uh, of just kind of rejecting that predatory society Mm. and, and fighting back against it. I think that's a, I think that's a valid assertion that it's a feminist 
concept. So it sounds to me like you're saying this the girl, the vampire, is fighting the patriarchy to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, to a to a degree, I think that's uh, I think that's fair. Although that may be a stereotypical way of phrasing it. That I, that <laughs> no, I'm not I would to... never. <laughs> I would never. You know what? They're always talking. <laughs> you know what? Uh, we had a chance. We did. <laughs> if. No. We had a chance. If, if women are really so concerned about their positive portrayals in the media, they'd show up for the goddamn oh. podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, but uh, Rudy, Rudy, what do you think about this as a uh, feminist question mark film? Uh, well, the question was, is this a feminist film? I mean, yeah. Uh, I'd say almost like what isn't. I mean, what? <laughs> as far I mean that to me that it seems like that's one of those. Um, it's almost like a the way people use it in reviews is almost like a buzzword, mm. as opposed yeah. to what the, the word. I mean, feminism that's a broad thing, right? I mean, that's not like that could mean in an academic sense, or it could mean like. You know, just girls kicking ass or whatever in that sense. You know, yeah. what what does it really mean? I mean, that doesn't. That's what I didn't read any of the reviews, but I I, I looked at the Wikipedia, and I saw that uh one of the mentions that they praised the feminist overtones in the movie, and I yeah it has overtones of it, sure. Mm. Uh, but as far as like, is this like uh was that the main like engine of the movie? I don't think so. Um. I think that I think that certainly what is being said here it, it's hard I think it's it's really hard to to classify this movie as any one thing. Yeah. 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 Like I think it would be it would be a disservice to the movie to call it just like oh well yeah this is about you know this is you know about female empowerment or whatever. You know when although there's certainly some themes of that there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the movie is about that. No, I don't. I wouldn't call it like a. It's not a feminist romp. I mean, it's not that. I wouldn't call it. You know, and it's nothing like. What, what's that new movie that just came out, The Assassination Day or something like that, where it has all these. Yeah, I know what know, you're talking about. It's kind of ham-fisted, like hodgepodge of you know feminist themes, you know, in an action movie. I don't think it's that. I mean, so. No. It's- I mean, I, I that's the answer I'd give. I don't really know. Yeah, um, I think that's a good answer. <laughs> so I, I don't think – I do not think – I would not call this a feminist, capital F feminist film. I, I would mm-hmm. say that like, like if you were looking for a film to show in a course, like a gender studies course. Right, right. I think you'd be – frankly, I think you'd really have to pick over this film to find that much. Right. Um, the title certainly makes you think this is going to be a film. It does. Film, yeah. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like a girl walks home alone at night. So Honestly, the title said, made me think of a Fallout Boy song. Yeah. That, <laughs> that maybe Panic at the that. Disco or something like that. Yeah. It's, yep. it's an unwieldily long title. Yeah. I mean, it, 
It's probably closer to a um, Fall Out Boy song, honestly, in its um, in its intentions, than it is <laughs> yeah. to be yeah. some kind of yeah. manifesto or like a political film. One thing I will say right. is this is, and to its credit, this is absolutely not a political film. Absolutely, this is, right. I think, above all else, a genre film and an homage to genre films. Yeah. Right. This is a not a movie about movies, but this is a movie that has been steeped in movies. This is a movie right. that is like I don't I don't want to be too dismissive of it dismissive of it in describing it this way, but this to me feels like a film school movie in that yeah. like oh, yeah. it's yeah. a movie both that you might watch in film school <laughs> to dissect the technique and techniques and the many many influences but mm-hmm. it's also a movie that you might write in film school right. <laughs> and, yeah. and when you know it's it's a could. well-cultured movie you know, well not only no, well, no pun yeah sure i mean the vision of, <laughs> of americanized westernized culture and and middle right. eastern culture but it's it's very well cultured and very well thought right. out in terms of how they blended all of the influences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, but it definitely is a movie about its influences or a movie mm-hmm. that w- leans heavily on its influences mm-hmm. and, and very much a movie, a movie, 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 movie. <laughs> like, yes. And so yeah. keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that this is not – this movie does not seem to exist primarily to make a political statement – or to be a politically minded or feminist minded cultural dissection. Mm. Um, I do think there is in a sort of fascinating strain of, if not feminism, a, a sort of there's something going on here in terms of like what this movie does or doesn't say about female empowerment and what mm-hmm. is and isn't empowering. Right. And whether or not this is a movie that is, um, I don't know, revolutionary or reactionary on some level, right? Mm, yeah. Whether, yeah. cause it is very, the, the character of the girl is and and once again that's how she's li- the character is listed in the cast yeah. list like that's what she's yeah, called it's not us being girl. dismissive and forgetting her name right yeah. right want to be clear there it's literally what it says on the script guys yep. that character is such an interesting once again to use the word pastiche but maybe not pastiche it, she is she exists at like a point of intersection between some really ob- some really strong like traditional mm-hmm. um yeah. i uh, traditional notions about like a female's place in society and some more modern liberated notions and it right, is yeah. not at all clear to me what side the film comes down on right like yes this is a female character who is out at night 
flipping the gender dynamic in that like instead of this mm. being a movie where a girl goes out at night and walks home alone and gets raped or otherwise victimized she's the victimizer right she right. finds these bad men and in bad city and um kills a few of them <laughs> you know yeah. she and she drinks their blood um which is an interesting like you know with vampires like the act of feeding is always oddly like sexual or a commentary yeah. potentially a commentary <laughs> on sexuality but well, yeah there's always a metaphor behind it so there and is that's... that inversion there that obvious inversion where the character who if you were going by the way these things usually play out in films like the traditional gender roles in films would be the victim is now the perpetrator and the character that would be the perpetrator is now the victim. Right. So on that level, like superficially, you could say, Oh, this is a feminist liberation film. But the whole time she's wearing that traditional headdress, right? <laughs> which becomes her cape. And her character is very clearly influenced by like, she almost, polices on some level sexual immorality right exactly and she's mostly conservatively dressed and so that is interesting but yeah. if you start to creep too far in that direction you say wait a second but she's also she's also on a skateboard right. wearing converse shoes right. and she is depicted in a way not to get too deep into spoilers she's depicted as someone who is very into western culture right yeah she's she's a weird amalgamation of a lot of different things Definitely. yeah and a lot of different things even if you're talking about like the politics of her character or the like yeah. cultural orientation of her character or whatever it's not this she's not like this straight up like ass kicking liberated feminist figure she's actually a really deeply conflicted kind of character and is actually sending a lot of mixed messages which i think makes her way more fascinating oh absolutely than if she was yeah. an up or down kind of um right. you know political statement Yeah, I mean, what you said about uh, policing the immorality, I'm almost reminded of, like, the Iranian morality police, you know, that go around and, right. you know, hand out flowers for good attire and shit like that. You know, it's almost like that, like, mixed with, you know, jet set radio or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know instead, of, right. instead of, like, a, you, know, a, you know, a policeman who's policing, like, you know, women or whatever, you know, she's policing like uh, something more like nebulous, like more like morality in general, you know, in a sense, which fits with a vampire thing, because, you know, right. that it fits with the horror and the vampire and that type of thing where, you know, it's morality seen as something that's black and white, you know? Yeah, I guess. And where she's just sort of um, like folkloric kind of right. force, right? Right. And it, like boogeymen and stuff in folklore who exist to punish 
kids and teens and people who go yeah. out at night to misbehave. Yeah. So yeah. that like intersected with what you were talking about with the Iranian like morality police and all that. That's huh. It's like and, yeah, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah. I uh, B boy, did you have anything more to say on that front or um not a whole lot. Um I think it was I think you're definitely right. It was more of a subtext mm. as far as any of the feminist mm. aspects of it that definitely wasn't the main agenda. Yeah. But I could definitely see where it would be taken as such. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that absolutely. having that as a subtextual yeah. element, I think that was definitely a smarter way to handle it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm glad that it was like you said I'm glad it wasn't layered on too thick, mm-hmm. um, because the moment a movie becomes didactic is the moment the movie loses me, and it it's not yeah. it's like it, this could just as easily be true as a movie that's this heavy-handed conservative statement or this heavy-handed mm-hmm. Marxist statement or the, you know any of that yeah. like yeah yeah. That kind of when you start to think the filmmaker has an agenda above all else, the film loses me and it, it becomes less interesting. And having instead it exists at this with this weird like confluence of different ideas and influences where she's simultaneously this sort of feminist Avenger figure. And this sort of morality police figure and this kind of folkloric traditional vampire figure <laughs> and this oddly like um, who's uh, who has this odd adoration for like American Western culture mm-hmm. like that as a conflicted all jammed into one conflicted character that somehow still works and still seems amazingly cohesive. Like yeah. that's impressive. And that is oh, way yeah. more interesting than if she was just one of those things. Definitely. And like all good horror movies, you know, you keep the horror in the periphery, right? You keep the, you know, the, the you know, I don't, don't want to say the main theme, because in this case, it's not necessarily the main theme of the movie, but like the feminism and that stuff is kept kind of in the peripheral vision which makes it, I think, probably any statement they're trying to make there stronger, since right. it is a horror movie, and it is, you I know... I agree with that. It is about those things that are unsaid, and there's a lot of parts of and that conversation unseen, yeah. un, unsaid and unseen, so... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I absolutely agree with you there. So, uh, any other points you guys want to bring up before we move on to our reviews about the points about the movie more generally? No, I think I'm set. No? Okay. So, let's do our reviews, and I guess we'll just move in the order that I'm looking at on the bottom of the screen here. B-Boy, do you want to give your review of the film first, and then score it out of however many vultures i've been trying to stick to five vulture rating system but it's been (laughs) consistent all right well like i said my experience was a little different from yours because i uh i got to observe and absorb as a silent film 
Um, I thought it was it was really well made. The visual elements were just absolutely stunning. Um, it's hard for me to get absorbed in a movie that is subtitled. I think we mentioned this last year when we reviewed that. Uh, uh, Quidan was yes, Quidan masterpiece. One of my yes, the it was greatest horror film of all time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Brag about the one you chose. Yep, yep. I'm just saying I have a pretty good. I, none. I just to let you guys know throughout the podcast, no movie that I've chosen has ever gotten a negative review from anyone on the podcast not once you won't find one instance where someone disliked <laughs> yeah. one of my okay now I'm, I'm just fucking around right. people like what were you anyway. saying yeah but normally i don't get drawn in with subtitles i i feel like it distracts me from absorbing the full picture and especially in a movie like this that is so visually stunning that has such a strong graphical element of the black and white and such striking cinematography um, honestly, it makes me wish that I had listened to it and understood Persian because I would much rather mm. absorb the full experience that way. Mm. Um, but that being said, I thought that the story itself was fantastic. I thought that all the homages and all the tributes to other cinematic influences, I thought they were very well done without really losing its own identity which is huge. Um, I liked the fact that they kept any potential political elements as a, as a subtext to the, to the greater story. And uh, overall, I'm going to give it a listen. I'm going to give it another watch through with the sound. So pending that I'm going to call this a four out of five vulture movie. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Rudy, what did you think? So this is a visually stunning movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, uh, I guess the term is wide shot or like, what, what do they yeah. call it when they hold the shot for a really long time? Is that oh, just, like a pan shot? Like, or a not a pan long. shot, just one where they hold it without cutting, I guess. Just a long consecutive shot. Long shot, yeah. yeah. And that, I love movies like that. I loved Elephant. Uh, Gus Van Zant's Elephant um, yeah. movies have a lot of stuff like that. I've cinema cinematography wise, this is a great movie. It's a great looking movie. Um, I love the costuming. That was one thing that definitely stood oh, out yeah. to me. So, uh, and those are honestly two things that I say are pretty important for me personally as far as what I rate a movie. Um, I also love the 90s vibe that it had, I guess. Um, And uh, this is a movie that you can watch in one sitting and not not really feel bad about the hour and 40 minutes or so. It's fairly short, so (laughs) you don't have to feel bad about, you know, watching it. Um, And that's another thing that... You know, for me, like when we watched Quidan, you know, I a little part of me died inside. Honestly. <laughs> but you <laughs> still gave the movie long. a good review. I still, uh, I did. I gave it a good review because that was a good movie. But yeah. what I'm saying is, it takes a lot for me to get to watch a movie like that, and especially horror movies. Uh, so this this felt quick and it felt awesome. Uh, 
so as far as a score, uh, I think I'm going to have to give this um, 13 out of 5 uh, Billy Corgan bouncing heads or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you, de- you detach. We'll, we'll say 13 out of 5 detached Billy Corgan heads. <laughs> just, just <laughs> I don't audience. Rudy has been. And I'm surprised you hadn't yet in the podcast, but you kept prior to the podcast comparing this movie's cinematography to Smashing Pumpkins video. I don't know if it's that, the cinematography exactly, but it's the aesthetics. Definitely. The aesthetics. You know, I could see that. Uh, I definitely, um, I don't know. I can see that. I could just see it <laughs> I, being one of Billy Corgan's side projects. Maybe he, you know, maybe he was secretly involved or something. That's what I like to believe. <laughs> well, um, I mean, he might be. The man. The man owns a pro wrestling company for crying out loud. Right. So why not? <laughs> why wouldn't he get involved in this? Right. Took a little bit of time um, off from ranting on Infowars to yeah <laughs> to produce this movie, um, this yeah. Iranian American vampire western. Yeah. Okay. So um, I agree with what most of you guys said. Um, this is a very, very easy movie to watch, especially for a like all the baggage that mm. hypothetical baggage that comes with watching a subtitled black and white art horror film. <laughs> like yeah. none of that baggage is present on screen. None of it's felt when you're watching mm. it. This is. As Rudy, I think you said breezy, right? And I think that's it, it's an odd way to describe yeah. a horror film. But this felt to me like a really breezy film. In it the was. same way, as I said, like something by Tarantino, especially earlier Tarantino, not so much like something like The Hateful Eight, which is very, very heavy, but early Tarantino or something by, as I said, Jim Jarmusch or um, Rodriguez or something, it, it <laughs> feels like, propulsive even though those films often contain a lot of long scenes Mm -hmm. long sort of slow scenes that are carried heavily by dialogue although this film does not have that much dialogue but it does have a number of longer scenes it doesn't feel like a slow film not that there's anything wrong with a slow Mm -hmm. film but this film like you feel just like drawn through it. You feel like you're watching if, even though individual shots may be long, it feels fast paced and it's very easy to watch. And as you said, it's a gorgeous film. The black and white cinematography is beautiful. The costuming, as Rudy said, is, is, is pitch perfect. There are some interesting thematic things going on here. Um, there's there's a lot of good in this movie but it had two there there were two problems with it i thought number one i thought it was a little bit too weighted down by its influences like i mm-hmm. think that it was to some degree um so interested in replicating its influences that it really struggled struggled to create its own kind of 
unique individual voice as a film. Like, I really felt like I was watching, as I said, kind of a film school project, right? It didn't really feel like this is its own thing, and this is a director with her own fully developed voice. I don't think that's there yet. Like, it's really promising, but I don't think it's there yet. The other problem, and I think maybe the bigger problem with the movie is the characters are obviously supposed to be like archetypal. Like they're supposed to be like the girl and the young man who's kind of being drawn into this noir lifestyle are supposed to be this kind of, these kind of archetypal characters and especially the male lead. Yeah. He seems like he's, supposed to be this kind of archetypal sort of noir protagonist although there's like he's a kind of impressionable young man who you've seen in a whole bunch of these movies and honestly outside of the girl who's a really fascinating character most of these characters are very thinly drawn not particularly psychologically complex or interesting and seem to be driven mostly by the needs of the screenplay as opposed to like actual like human motivations mm-hmm. all of that said i like this movie a lot more than i disliked it i'd say let's say three and a half out of five vultures so okay now if you're still somehow listening i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> but if you're still somehow listening, um, thank you. We, yeah, thanks. <laughs> no, thanks. And we are going to now move on to a more specific, deeper dive into individual films and and plot points. So there's spoilers ahead. So if you don't want spoilers, don't turn it off. Pause it. Come on. I have like 50 tabs open. You can have 50 <laughs> tabs open. Um, pause it. Hope you don't get fucked by that Firefox memory leak or whatever. Just oh, keep no. it paused. <laughs> keep it in a tab. When you have a chance, watch the movie. Come back. Okay. So pause now if you haven't seen the film or and if you give a shit about spoilers. Okay. So let's talk about scenes let's talk about let's talk about everything one thing i want to talk about first because i want to make sure that we that it does get mentioned and i don't forget um i was kind of talking before about how a lot of the characters in this film felt a little thinly drawn Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i would agree with that yeah but there are two characters there are two incredible standout characters in this film (laughs) and i think they are incredible standout characters in part because they benefit from two incredible fucking performances so what i'm saying is there are two amazing performances in this film (laughs) um one of them is by sheila vand who plays the girl, who's the female Absolutely. lead, the, the mm-hmm. vampire. Her performance is absolutely 
incredible. Um, just, just so she is, she takes a character that on the page might have been kind of a jumbled mess of influences and conflicting like drives and desires, and really sells the shit out of it to the point where like you 100% believe her mm-hmm. as a frightening like as a horrifying you know vampire a hor- this kind of horrifying like um figure that you might encounter in the walking home in the middle of the night and get spooked by like in one scene and in another as this really vulnerable like not really adolescent but this really vulnerable um you know younger woman mm-hmm. who is like influ- with all the pop culture obsession and all that like she totally sells that and mm-hmm. then she also sells like this world that in in one scene she also really sells the possibility that she's this ancient kind of world weary figure who has been alive possibly for hundreds of years yeah there's a scene there between her and the prostitute where which was kind of a little bit too obvious and writerly but she really sold where she's talking about like how she imagines the prostitute must feel Mm -hmm. but she's actually describing how she feels right like this kind of like world weary speech about how she's she just like been enervated and drained of life by her many years like of watching human human depravity mm-hmm. and to be able to sell all of those things it, it really really remarkable perform it's just incredible performance but <laughs> there is one performance <laughs> in the film that's <laughs> even more <laughs> impressive than hers i think i know which one you're gonna say that's the performance of masuka the cat as the cat oh man (laughs) i have never and this is going to sound like a joke but it's an honest to goodness truth i have never seen a more naturalistic performance from a cat in a movie (laughs) (laughs) and you might say well he's it's a fucking cat of course he's going to behave naturally but that's not generally true at all like cats are really Dogs can be trained very easily, which is why you mm. see a lot of dogs as pets and sidekicks and stuff in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, cats, though, like you can train the dog to act like the camera is not there because the dog can like not care that it's on set, mm. that there's a cameraman, that there's all of this, this staff milling around and not be like bugged out about that. Um mm. Cats, though, you almost never see cats give naturalistic performances, performances where it's, you just accept the fact that that's a cat and he's mm-hmm. behaving like a cat. Like usually mm-hmm. they delegate, they kind of relegate cats to like scenes where they quickly scurry across the, yeah. the scene, right? Yeah, it's always because a jump shot. Do, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or where they're like crouched down and hissing because it's easy to get those images because when you put a cat on set, the cat's like, ah! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I actually upset my cat by making that noise. But the cats are like spooked and pissed off. So it's easy to get a scene where cat's hissing at the camera. This, this cat you, like, is just chilling. 
push yeah. yeah where you push the cat on scene and they run across real quick yeah but to get the cat just like eh, i'm a cat like and yeah. also there's a, and obviously some of this is not <laughs> masuka or masuka's um work but the work of this guild uh crew that had to wrangle him and also the the camera people who had to capture these shots but he he goes through some remarkable transformations over the course of this film like there is some scene where all he has to be is a very normal house cat and where he actually seems in a film that's full of very few actual naturalistic performances and very few in like a lot of work goes into making the human characters seem more or less than human, like not like human in the kind of relaxed, like um, mundane day to day way you encounter humans. Right. There's a lot. A lot of these human characters are heavily stylized. The fact that the cat, especially in his early scenes, is presented in a very mundane way, like there's a seen early on where um arash the the, the male protagonist just kind of grabs him and he's got him just like slumped on in his arm and he's carrying him as he as he goes to get into his car and drive away and he's just like yeah this is just a fat like tabby cat just kind of uh, like <laughs> draped there um and and a lot of the early scenes that's exactly what you get you get this very normal mundane cat but then there are a few other scenes where he takes on like an almost supernatural quality he does yeah like there's a shot that's like and i don't even know how they got this but it's like a close-up of his eye Mm, and you see his eye and then it cuts and it's really interesting um and there are other scenes where the way he's cut, it's like suddenly he takes on this kind of supernatural quality, which is interesting given like the the relationship between like cats or in folklore often an image of death or the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And so to have him transform over the course of the film into this kind of supernatural character yeah, is really like and, especially since this is a fucking regular cat. Giving and I don't think we really can impressive. underscore how absurdly photogenic this cat is. Oh, he yeah. is a beauty. <laughs> like <laughs> this is the Brad Pitt of cats. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that shot at the end of the film, without giving anything away yet, because we'll get to yeah. that last scene I, later on. I do want to about that yeah but the fact that for this extended shot this cat is just sitting yeah comfortably and as naturally as can be on the top seat on the top of a seat of a car and is looking between the actors and then making direct eye contact with the fucking camera the cat breaks the fucking fourth (laughs) wall it's amazing this cat is moment just yeah. straight deadpooling it just just <laughs> looking us right in the eye like it was just amazing the performance that this cat gave just by being a fucking cat yeah and that yeah. and usually we say the end for the last but whatever we'll talk about it now what's really interesting about that scene is up until that moment the movie never broke the fourth wall and acknowledged yeah. the camera and mm. the actors 
never acknowledged the camera. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing where you start to think about Rodriguez and Tarantino and like yeah. that very like hyper aware of like film it making that's hyper aware of the fact that it's a film and wants the audience to be aware mm-hmm. of the fact that they're watching a film. This movie doesn't does not veer into that territory until that very last shot. And it's not the human characters who do it. The human characters in that final shot are looking at each other. But the cat breaks the fourth wall. The cat acknowledges the fact that this is a film and gets the audience suddenly to acknowledge the fact in that final shot that they're watching a film that is that's great that was that was incredible oh yeah and also once again going to like the 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 question of like the potential supernatural qualities of this cat which are never like overstated it never becomes like a sabrina the teenage witch kind of thing where it's like who is this and i thought it might go that way like oh are they gonna like make this cat turn out to be the vampire's familiar are they gonna play that up in a heavy way but they never do it until that final scene and then that's like boom and then it ends it's just it's great yeah there really is. I mean, I think that cat deserves some kind of award. That is, I, yeah. without question, one of the best performances by a non-human actor that I have ever seen. Mm. Absolutely. Sorry, Rudy, you were kind of left on the outside of that conversation, so I want to give you a chance to... Oh, I mean, do you know this is a male cat? I mean, I don't... We don't. Yeah, let's, not, no. let's not misgender I mean... the cat. It's not misgender Masuka. <laughs> well, the only reason I say he is because there's a scene um, early on where the drug dealer character, I think, is Saeed. Oh, yeah, I that's think right. Is, yeah, he just calls him Mr. Saeed picks him up and he's like, is it a boy cat or a girl cat? And he like yeah. checks him out. He's like, oh, Mr. Cat. Now, Mr. that doesn't cat. mean that Saeed knew. I mean, he's a drug dealer and a degenerate and he like there's <laughs> yeah. no way to know if he sex the cat properly but the right. assumption is that the cat is male which is interesting too because hmm. you'd almost expect given some of the other subtext of the film mm-hmm. for the cat to be female hmm. um well, especially given the typical feminine connotation of the cat versus the masculine connotation of the dog right and the cat's potential relationship with the girl mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. he is her familiar so it is it's interesting but uh i yeah, i've been saying scene, i've been, yeah uh there's a scene where uh where his father the protagonist's father there is uh you know after he's thrown all the pictures around the house oh, yeah. where he says yeah you know he's her his he look at her eyes or look at the cat's eyes it looks it's your mother you know right. and that that really and the way the look that cat gave during that scene <laughs> Where they zoomed in on it and it was kind of looking furtively, you know, back and forth. That was really something that uh, that that was quite a performance too. Like he said, oh, yeah. the range on the cat to go from a performance <laughs> yeah. like that, unreal, like sitting on somebody's shoulder and like chilling out to like you know in the car breaking the fourth wall. Cat had an amazing range for sure. Amazing range. I mean, I no insult to the male lead here, but the cat had a much larger range than the male oh, lead whose yeah, performance absolutely. was only okay right. <laughs> um yeah yeah but yeah it's interesting that you mentioned the scene where uh, i think it, it's 
Hussein is Hussein. father. Yeah, where Hussein says the cat's your look at the cat. The cat's your mother. Speaking from like the question of like, is this a male cat or a female cat? Yeah. <laughs> and and see, also, I like, thought yeah. I thought Hussein was a was a well done character as well. Mm-hmm. Not as complex as he yeah. could have been, but I thought that he was uh, he was one of the higher points for me. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> being the not only the protagonist's father, but also being a what is obviously a man who has spiraled out of control with depression into mm-hmm. a a descent of excess and drugs in a lifestyle he can't afford. After the loss of his wife. Right. I mean. I thought he was a tragic figure that they really could have built a lot more on. And they could have. They could have really developed an amazing presence in that movie with him. And I thought that obviously just visually, I thought the actor emoted the character very well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This is another case where the actor outperforms the writing i think i i mean we've seen characters like hussein in a lot of movies oh yeah yeah the drug addict parent who's depressed about this that or the other thing and who has kind of a tragic arc in the movie who exists mostly as a kind of foil for the um for their you know their adolescent or young adult Mm -hmm. child to play off of like they're more like functional than anything else right yeah. they they yeah. provide an impetus for this they're other set. character's development yeah we've seen a lot of, I, that is in a lot there like there are many many movies with that but the actor um marshall manesh or Man, yeah manesh i think who plays hussein does a remarkable job of bringing what could be a stock character to life. I think. Yeah, absolutely. He has a very expressive face, which is yeah. which is so important in a role like that because yeah. he is so depressed and so angry at times, and he has to he has to make the most of those emotions in order to actually be a relevant character. And I think that he did mm-hmm. quite well with that. I just wish that they could have given him more to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Um, are there any scenes that you guys want to talk about? We'll, we'll start with Rudy since he picked the movie. Um, one scene I thought was interesting is the one, uh, I guess where she actually gets the skateboard from the kid after she uh, after she accosts him on the street, and uh, that one, <laughs> when you talk about like the feminist message and that kind of stuff, um, that one is one of the ones that came across not as a more feminist scene necessarily, but that showed some some of that that showed like. I guess that had some feminist undertones to it, I guess, because it's like, she's talking to them, you know, she, she gets this kid and like, it's, it's nighttime and he's just skating around and she, she gets him and he tries to run away, but she does the thing where like, you know, she basically hops in front of him and, you know, scares the shit out of this kid. And she tells him, she basically gives him like the talk almost. 
you know, she's like, well, are you a good boy? You know, are you doing good things? And, you know, all this stuff like that. And uh, I thought of that, I thought basically of kind of maybe like talks about consent or about um, <laughs> that type of thing. That's what I, that's what went yeah. through my mind. That's the first thing that I thought of uh, when, you know, and like talks of consent that kind of people wish that we would have, I guess, with children or like younger kids, you know, I, there's always like people talking about how, you know, we need to like sex for sex education and stuff. Consent has to be emphasized and that type of thing. And that parents should play or what, what role parents should play in that and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that it's like this strange woman, you know, on the street <laughs> talking to this kid about right. like, you know, and it's not obviously about consent, but you know, that, that to me was the, the implication there you know are you a good boy are you you know have you done anything bad you know that kind yeah, of thing I... and that to me uh was an interesting scene because it kind of uh i guess it kind of it kind of had was like a dialogue about about those types of conversations and like it's like well on one hand it's like okay you know great you're having the conversation with him and you know maybe he'll remember it surely he will remember it because he was scared shitless <laughs> but right. uh, on the other hand you know you scared the shit out of him and, you know, right yeah and i think that's that kind of mirrors the conversations about those conversations you know that that mirrors the dialogue around those types of conversations i thought that was an interesting way to do it uh instead of having it doing it in a more heavy-handed way yeah yeah, that, that is interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't really think of that when I was watching it, but that is an interesting point. I mean, it's kind of funny here because, like, your interpretation of this scene might vary based on whether you decide to put the emphasis here on good or on boy, right? Right, right. <laughs> like, if you think that she's mostly act, asking, are you a good boy then she right. becomes the folkloric boogeyman right, right? right. she yeah. becomes the figure that exists to police children who shouldn't be out at night and to teach them moral lessons and to serve as a like a check on are you good you better be good because if you're not right. good yeah. i'm gonna come and get you yep but if you put the emphasis on boy in that scene then it becomes right. more like what you're talking about which is like is her attack like on his morality or is it more about his masculinity like are you right. going to be a good boy like right. are you going to grow up to be like one of these other guys that i've killed <laughs> you kill. yeah, exactly. like you don't want to become basic grow up to be a sexual predator or a <laughs> this the kind of degenerate i hunt at night right. there's consequences for that and that was right. a, one of those moments where it's a really interesting spin on like your expectations once right. again, if you think about like the folkloric kind of boogeyman versus mm. this more like modern, maybe feminist, whatever portrayal of the character. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think it was necessarily a, like it wasn't put in a ham fisted way. And I appreciate no. that because a lot of yeah. times, like yeah. if, this, if this were a more ham fisted movie, that would have been a, probably a longer scene and would have had oh, yeah. other stuff yeah. attached to it. There would have but, been some right. full blown lectures going on. And... Right. But the way it was put, um, 
I think, like I said, it, it leaves the scary stuff in the periphery. The scary stuff being, you know, a conversation about consent and that kind of thing. It leaves yeah. that in the periphery where it belongs, you know, in a horror movie. You know, that's right. It's not viewed directly. It's never viewed directly. Yeah. B boy, did you have any thoughts about that scene? Um, nothing that wasn't really already addressed. I I thought it was, you know, it was what it was. I will say one small thing that relates somewhat to that scene um, that I don't really, didn't really care for about the movie was the way the really like the scary vampire moments mm-hmm. were handled mm-hmm. there it it like for the most part this the camera work in this film and the cinematography in this film is very restrained but then suddenly, whenever she went into full vampire mode, there was one of those like almost jump cutty moments. Yeah, yeah. And like y- you got that sense of like, boo, <laughs> you know. And yeah. I thought that was unnecessary and kind of like yeah. keeping the film a little bit. Whereas yeah, it I was think against she- tone. Mm-hmm. See, I'm going to disagree with that. I don't think it was really against the tone or against because it's it's based on like these spaghetti westerns and shit. They're all. Like that. I mean, that, yeah. To me, it seems like that's that's another case where maybe there was too much throwback to the source material, yeah. like you said, like too much. But I don't think it was against like the feeling of the movie. I think like I didn't really like it either, but I don't really like any of those. Yeah. Those types of scenes. I guess the editing there seemed very modern on the one hand and also very foregrounded on the other whereas mm. in the rest of the film that stuff is kept um kept mostly invisible you know you right. don't get the sense of oh like you could feel the editor and the cameraman and all of that like you could feel them working you could and that took me out oh, of the film I because it's like this is a moment where the film is being manipulative and being very overt and it didn't feel right with the rest of the film. It felt like suddenly you had like three or four moments taken from a contemporary horror film and edited like a contemporary horror film dropped mm-hmm. into this otherwise, as I said, more restrained kind of yeah. of art house sort of film. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And just to contrast that scene or those types of scenes with another one that I think was really good, uh, the part where she sees... Uh, Hossein out in the out at, on in the street there, and she's on the other oh, side of the street. Yeah. He's on the one side of the street, and uh, she oh, starts yeah. to mimic his movements. Yeah, that that was really good, and I thought that that was a scene, especially like I don't know if you guys have seen like the stuff. Um, like I mean, you've seen Nosferatu, mm-hmm. but there's also like um, I think there's a documentary or something that showed some of the origins of like how they came up with the ideas of how the character in Nosferatu moved and stuff like that. I guess oh, okay. there's this disease called encephalitis lethargica. Yeah, yeah, makes people, sure. Uh, um, you know, they can basically be posed like dolls, you know, when they have the <laughs> disease because they don't, like, catatonic and, like, kind of, you know, and that reminded me a lot of that, which was mm. really interesting scene. Yeah, that was a great scene. And like you said, that's a scene that, 
evokes like anxiety and horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a quiet using... kind of anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Without using cheap cuts or anything like that. Right. right. Um, B boy, was there a scene you wanted to talk about? Yeah, uh, I actually want to bring up the scene that first really introduced the girl mm. in the movie. Or at least the first one that really grabbed my attention and, and oh, this is this is something unusual. Mm. And it was so simple. And again, I think this is where watching it as a silent movie, either maybe it enhanced it for me. Maybe it maybe it's actually even better than I'm remembering it. But it's the scene where she is just dancing to the music. Yeah. Alone, on her own, no other characters present, just dancing and moving to the music in that black and white striped shirt. And it was just (laughs) such a visually gripping and haunting scene for me that just that got my attention and that dragged me into the rest of the movie. And I thought that was so spectacularly done because Mm. of its simplicity. Mm. Yeah. Because it wasn't overdone. It wasn't overwrought. It wasn't forced. It just felt like this natural thing. And yet belied none of the supernatural elements that would follow. And I thought that was just outstanding. Right, and it, it's such a strong contrast between that scene mm-hmm. where she basically looks like any sort of lonely kind of isolated young woman rocking out to Western pop music, by the way. The, oh, no the song that, it, Is that, Rudy, the scene where Death by White Lies plays? I think so, yeah. 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 And this is, by the way, the first, like, p- the first time you hear English words, I think, in the movie. Yeah. And in fact, the only time in the movie that you hear English, there are only a couple of times in the movie where you hear English, and both times it's her listening to American pop music. Right. <laughs> first in this scene, and then later in the scene, I believe, where she and Arash have their little like rendezvous or whatever that that dance moment between them um in both of those instances she's listening to american pop music and i thought that was Mm. that's really interesting because the way it establishes her character as you said b-boy and how high contrast that is with her other introduction where she's dressed in this you know in a more traditional style, or at least she has the headdress or whatever you want to call it, the, the cheddar yeah. on, and where she like goes full vampire and and like murders that uh, sleazy drug addict uh, Saeed, right? Um, yes. Yeah. So I mean, the contrast there were like in one scene. She seems like this very vulnerable and also yeah. very Western it was, girl. It was very and, disarming. And yeah, exactly. She yeah. seems like this very vulnerable, very Western girl. And then in the 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 other time that she's her other introduction, the introduction to her as a vampire, she's just like incredibly horrifying and also like 
very traditional and as i've said a few times before folkloric mm -hmm. kind of figure and like those two things those two visions of her are knocking against each other for the whole film in really interesting yeah. ways and that continue until the conclusion of the film yeah and that's a complexity that you don't often get in a vampire movie right hmm. And that you or, almost never get any a vampire, for let alone just a vampire movie. But it's yeah. so it's so difficult for most filmmakers, especially in modern popular film, to actually capture that kind of a duality in a character. Yeah. Let alone for this supernatural force in the movie to be introduced in a way that is just so thoroughly human. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Right. Because normally, oh, well, there's a vampire in the movie. The first time you're going to notice that character is when they jump on somebody's throat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. And, and it's usually yeah. not anything eye-catching that really draws you into this character mm -hmm. that doesn't have some obvious supernatural element to it. So I really, really liked that scene just for that reason, because it was such a disarming humanizing almost endearing moment like you start yeah. thinking well this is just you know this is the girl next door right hmm. and it's another moment that makes you think not of spaghetti westerns or mm -hmm. old noir films or any of that but yeah. makes you think the tarantino um, influence yeah these quasi indie i don't know the there. right way there's a term that's applied to those sort of quasi indie yeah. 90s filmmakers who were really like on the cusp mm. between like when indie went mainstream or whatever you want to call it but that mm. scene like could just as easily have been the scene from pulp fiction with uh yeah. i believe it is it uma thurman yep. yeah she's like, oh absolutely like the, yeah. the the parallel there is really very yeah. clear and kind of fascinating um so and people yeah that was one of my favorite scenes in the yeah. movie too um but there's one scene that really 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 stood out to me in this movie and oddly for a movie about you know a horror movie i suppose about vampires um it was a romantic scene <laughs> and that's the ear piercing scene oh yeah which i yes. think was totally like in some ways was written on a level that no other scene in this film good as they are was written on because in that moment you get in a very kind of subtle scene you get like the sudden intersection of all of these currents of her character, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, first of all, there's the, like, conflict between traditional culture yeah. and, like, modern culture. And the decision to abandon, like, some traditional aspect of herself because of her new modern boyfriend, right? Okay. I mean, it's almost like, this is pretty obvious, but it's almost like a loss of virginity kind of scene, right? Where oh, he, yeah. He, he poked, yeah, absolutely. And she has him pierce her ears. She doesn't do it right. herself, you know? And she get and she gives him the safety pin, and he's like, oh, are you sure? You know? <laughs> and then, um, 
but also her response in those moments is really fascinating and unexpected mm-hmm. because you're thinking this is a vampire film. She's undead. She's not going mm-hmm. to feel anything when the yeah. needle goes through her earlobe. Yeah. But instead, she has a really strong, like, <gasps> like emotional response yep. to it. And that was really fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. Um, and I liked that. And it it goes back to the traditional elements of the vampire movie. In typical vampire movies, the bite is the uh, over-sexualized yeah. concept of penetration. Right. That's That's their allegory for the sexual nature of the vampire. And I thought that that especially with the way that her vampirism is portrayed, especially punishing these, these sexually abusive men mm-hmm. to desexualize the bite and then have that great scene with the ear piercing where it is that romantic moment where there's still that notion of something penetrating the flesh. Mm-hmm. That was that was very nuanced. It was. Yeah. And it was more nuanced in some ways than the rest of the film, I thought. Mm-hmm. But it, And it yeah. also becomes this moment, though, of this moment of concession on her part, right? Mm-hmm. Like where she's given giving up um, a piece of her persona, you yeah. know, yeah. and where she's uniquely, oddly vulnerable. You know, it, it's just... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rudy. Um, uh, there's definitely an element of like performance there, I guess, or performativity, or whatever you want to call it. You know, since I mean, like you said, she is a vampire, and she's, but it feels like she's almost, you know, for him, she's doing the, you know, the. Oh, the that's play. interesting. You know, I at least that's the way I read it. I didn't really. But I mean, yeah, with I the like other interpretation in the movie, I guess um, that kind of goes with that i guess because you know she's had and you know the idea of it you know she's had to in some ways restrain herself you know and certain aspects or restrain certain aspects of herself um to live this life you know to live as long as she has i guess as a vampire and that kind of thing that's i guess that's a common theme of vampires um right but in this, it seemed like it was almost like a performance, you know, deal in a performance along the lines of like his expectations. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. It just it just right. Like... Maybe. And I mean, that's kind of an open question, isn't it? Like, did she feel anything? And yeah. that is kind of yeah. like goes yeah. to the heart of her character too. Like, to what degree? <clears throat> it, there's always some question, I think, in her relationship with him. You're never sure. Mm-hmm. where right. it's going to go and what right. she is or isn't feeling and at what point to what degree she's like a predator pursuing mm. prey at, which is something that shows up in vampire movies a lot and to what to what degree she's actually romantically in um right interested in him and so yeah it's possible that that was to some degree a performance um that she's a vampire she shouldn't be able to feel pain but there's also the possibility that this is a kind of subversion and she actually does feel the pain mm. which 
runs counter to our expectations for a vampire. So regardless, and as as an audience man, we don't know like what for yeah. sure what which of those things we're seeing. So that's right. that is pretty interesting. Like that whole scene is just very layered, and I think you could you could do like maybe not a God knows how long is this podcast going to be? Two hours, hour and a half podcast. <laughs> on it. But you could certainly do at least probably a half an hour on that scene alone, but we're oh, not going to yeah. do that because we should probably think about, um, <coughs> wrapping up sometime. <laughs> uh, but are there any other moments, scenes, um, whatever that you guys want to talk about here? there is one that i wanted to point out and uh i thought this was kind of like you were saying with the male protagonist being that you know good guy drawn into bad situations Mm -hmm. i thought it was a it was a great piece of foreshadowing for what the character was going to be going through and what the what the female vampire was what the girl was going to be hunting was that very first scene where the male protagonist is with the uh i forget her name but with the wealthier woman where he is performing work around the house oh yeah and he points out to her this is going to take a while would you mind going to a different room because you and i alone in a room together if your parents found out that's very inappropriate right and it was that that moment of acknowledging the traditional values of their culture mm-hmm. and yeah. i thought that was a really nice touch as far as setting up both his character and setting the tone for the movie and unfortunately i think that was also one of the high points for him as an actor in the movie <laughs> yeah yeah that's true because right. his Again, without the audio, his performance for me fell flat. Yeah, it didn't work for me he, either. His face yeah, didn't emote very well. He didn't really seem to be emotionally invested mm-hmm. in the role that he was playing to me. Mm. Yeah. He sort of underplayed a role that was already underwritten, and it didn't work yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And I think there was this attempt to make him this kind of like silent, sort of noir protagonist this guy this man of few words kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah um but you often need a more um an actor with a stronger presence to pull yes. something like that off. Absolutely. like yes clint eastwood can be the man with no name you know right. but this dude is no clint eastwood <laughs> you know no um, you have to you have to have a face that can deliver emotion without anything else Mm. you have to have that expressive face you have to have that expressive body language yeah and for me the protagonist it felt like he was just there he wasn't invested in what he was doing he was definitely one of the weaker links in Mm -hmm. this movie undoubtedly Mm. yep one thing I wanted to talk about just very briefly, I don't have too much to say here, are all of the like visual allusions to noir 
films mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Some of which, I don't know, just like, of course, he's wearing the cast for a bunch of the movie. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> which is just kind of, and there's a briefcase with the, mm-hmm. with the drugs and the money in it and the gun. I do like the fact that we see the gun in the briefcase. There's a cute little subversion of the Chekhov's gun thing where the, we see the gun early in the briefcase with the drugs, and then we never see the gun again. But we think yeah. we're going to yeah. see the gun again. It, that was when a good taunt. When he reaches into the glove box at the end of the film, and we don't know. Oh. He, he's figured out that she had something to do – the girl had something to do with his father's death. And we see him reach into the glove box, and we think on some level he's going for – maybe he's going for the gun that we saw earlier and we're, pri- was prime, we're primed to expect would come back. And instead he pulls out the tape with the pop music on it and pops yeah. it into the video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's that, you know, um, that moment. But, um, but yeah, like the cast and, and stuff like that and – and of course, we get a lot of scenes of the oil wells, which make it work both as a Western, yeah. but also as a yeah, like setting the place in Iran as well. That's a nice like little point of intersection. It was but yeah. The one like noir illusion that I thought worked better than any other was um, you mentioned his um, his former employers his former rich employers um daughter mm-hmm. i'm trying to mm-hmm. i i think i'm looking at the cast list here i think shada yeah was the character yes. yeah. there's a moment earlier early in the film where we see her with a bandage on her nose and of yes. course, of course the yes. immediate, if you're a western film goer your immediate thought is to jack nicholson in chinatown right yeah. but the reason she has the bandage on her nose is because she just got a nose job. Yes. Which uh, is a yeah. real cultural yeah. allusion to like like mm. rich Iranian women who are obsessed with like Western standards of beauty and so they get right. the you know, they yeah. have right. their more Arab features eradicated. And so that was a nice <laughs> that was a a really cool moment that I think captured a lot about the yeah. film, even though it was very small because it, on the one hand, it captured the film's like deeply elusive nature in terms of pointing backwards at mm-hmm. noir films and spaghetti Westerns and all of this. Um, but also it caught the film's like interests and gender issues and classes, mm-hmm. class issues and like yeah. questions of like the intersection of more traditional maybe arab culture and or persian culture i should say or iranian culture or whatever and western culture and how those things are in conflict it was just a and it wasn't belabored either it was almost a blink and you miss it kind of thing it wasn't like pointed out yeah but it was a really nice subtle touch that underscored a lot i think of what was going on yeah and i i really appreciate it when a movie can fit in a small detail like that and really yeah. make the most of it, even if it is just a short little one-off thing, mm-hmm. delivering so much in such a small, condensed moment is yeah. mm-hmm. just so valuable and so hard for a lot of filmmakers to pull off. 
Yeah. And I really wish that they could have worked in more of those. Yeah, I, I do too. I do too. There were some moments in the film where it did seem a little bit like it was maybe on autopilot or it was sticking a little too bit too close to its influences. But um, yeah, and any anything else anyone wants to bring up or talk about or... Well, I'd like to call back to uh, Hossein and his his drug addiction. Mm -hmm. I thought some of those scenes were very, very well done emotionally. Mm. Um, I think that was another high point for the male protagonist. The first scene where he came in and encountered his father after his father had been injecting. I thought that was, mm. I thought that was a good scene, and especially when Hossein finally kind of loses it and yeah and basically hog ties a woman and forcefully injects her and then injects himself right yeah i thought that was uh it was another strong point in his portrayal of a man in a downward spiral <laughs> and powerful performance with a lackluster uh, script to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that, of course, that last moment you were talking about is another one that kind of gets to the issue of, like, consent. Yes. She's saying that, mm -hmm. like, Very much no, so. she, first of all, she's a prostitute and he's, like, paid her to sleep with him. So yeah. he's not saying, mm -hmm. no, no, I don't want to sleep with you. She's saying, no, no, I don't want to do heroin. And he's like, no, you're going to do heroin. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we're going to no, do heroin we're and we're going to have, have fun. We're going to have a good There's this weird kind of like question of like what is transpired because he ties her hands together in order to inject her with the heroin yeah but like the resistance there's not a tremendous amount of resistance to that and mm. there's some question of like is she playing a role that she was paid to play yeah. or is she mm. being victimized by him does she not want like and of course as the audience we're having some trouble parsing that but the girl mm. it sees one thing and one thing only right which right. is that yeah. that he's accosting her and right. so she's yeah. kind of set herself up as the protector of this woman and this kind of uh avenger of who goes after these kind of men like it's very clear cut what we can see what her perspective is and why she kills yeah. but yeah. we've also seen his struggle throughout the movie with his heroin addiction and the stuff with his wife and mm -hmm. we also have seen like the prostitute character enough to wonder yeah. like how yeah. much it is she like feels like she's like compelled to play this role with her Johns and so on and so forth. And it all comes together in this moment where you've got these different perspectives intersecting. <clears throat> and so the audience is seeing more than any given character. And I thought that was, yeah. that was pretty good. Um, in that it doesn't fall easily into a life. It, there would have been a way to film that scene, which would have been very unequivocal and very heavy handed. And 
made Hussein out to be an absolute like monster rapist and the girl to be out to be this avenging angel kind of thing. Yeah. And there would have been another way to film it that would have made it out, made it appear as if turn the girl into the monster. Yeah. Right. Where she's killing this guy's poor enfeebled, drug addicted father basically no reason and that doesn't happen either because we don't know we're not sure how to inter- interpret his behavior yeah and that ambiguity i mean it goes back to what you were saying before that ambiguity is i think one of the film's strongest points yeah. mm-hmm. is that it it's not a heavy ham fisted oh i'm just gonna punch you in the face with this message <laughs> and you're gonna sit there and take it movie it's a there are subtle nuances at work, hmm. even if they weren't all that well developed at points. But there were right. so many nuances that left you questioning things and left things open to interpretation. And that's one of the things that they did really well. They had yeah. these moments of brilliance. In the movie that really elevated the rest of it that was kind of lackluster and was kind of eh, predictable and typical for the fair, but they had those moments of brilliance that really did make it shine. Yes, I I agree. Um, Anything else? We got anything else? The cat Um, deserves an Oscar, said it before. Yeah, definitely that cat deserves some (laughs) kind of award. Yeah, definitely. I just honor the cat, please. Please give the cat Mm -hmm. some kind of honor. I mean, at this point, I mean, this was filmed in 2014, so it's a little too late to give him an Academy Award, but you know what? Give the cat a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. Give the cat, bring the cat, bring the cat who's undoubtedly. How about a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. it's just, I, mean, hell, I mean didn't the 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 academy gave um what's his name uh polanski a lifetime achievement award yeah. you can't yeah. you can't give masuka the cat a lifetime achievement award. You know what, that, that oh. cat never molested a child <laughs> that, that we know, we of. know of. just wait until <laughs> that cat gets me too and you're gonna uh, be reading the words yep we're gonna to have to take this podcast with all the praise for Masuka the cat down yeah. when it when mm, all those yeah. pictures are come out with him with a litter of kittens doing God knows what. Yeah. But or her, we actually her. don't. That's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> so I think we can probably start wrapping up here. I don't have any final thoughts. We no. already kind of talked about the end of the film a few times. Yeah. I don't think we missed anything really. Probably at this point, the podcast is almost as long or longer than the film itself. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Safe to say. Well, one thing I will say, um, uh, well, not really quite sure how to say this, but <laughs> um, this movie is pretty important to me because I feel it conveys what I mean when I say the word gay, which is a word <laughs> from the 90s that I fucking love, and I'll keep saying it regardless of what how the times change or whatever. Um, but as someone who lived through the 90s um, and says that word a lot, 
I think there's a sense of like when you say it, it's like that's dumb. Or someone who, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, also as someone who came of age in the '90s, came of age. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. But I think there's a sense of like when you say it, it's like that's dumb or pretentious. Yeah. You know, but I also envy that. You know, and that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Like the the whole movie, like the clothes, the hairstyles, gay. You know, I mean, the long shots of people dancing, gay. That's all. It's all gay. gay. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's like, and again, for the people that are listening to the podcast <laughs> rather than watching the video, I have to stress the fact that we are observing these words coming from a male humanoid anthropomorphic fox in a leather shrug. Yeah, yeah, I mean, true. <laughs> but this uh, this movie, I think, is instructive. I could point at this movie if somebody says, "What do you mean by gay?" And I've been asked that. You know, what what does that mean? You know, I'll just point at this movie. I mean, that's what right. I, I was specifically point at the scene, uh, you know, where he spins the disco ball, and you know, they're kind of sitting there, the long shot of them sitting there dancing just alone, and just and so yeah, that's gay. And um, I think. I don't want to take it too far, but I think that that might also say something about how the movie treats its own subject matter, kind of. Because, okay, like, I want to hear this. I want to hear this. So like, yeah, so do there's I. Whole, there's a whole thing of like Iranians seeing Western culture, you know, and envying parts of it. You know, I mean, obviously, they in the 70s and you know before the revolution, they had a kind of Western culture there, and so yeah. it's almost like a callback to. You know that time they they envy that time maybe and but they also see modern Western culture and envy that maybe some of them, especially maybe Iranian born or people who are of Iranian descent, you know from other countries you know may look may look at that and be be maybe conflicted between the traditional Western or the traditional Iranian values and the Western values that they live in or that they look at and say hey that's cool. You know, so it's kind of like, to me, it feels like it's it's like we want to have it both ways, or not want to have it both ways, but it's like there's two <laughs> different things going on there. You know, it's right. like, hey, I see that, and that's cool, but this is where I'm at right now. You know, that's yeah. that's well, kinda... I mean, it, it seems like you're describing the sensation of being like drawn to and repulsed by something at right. the same time, right? Exactly. Being envious of and disgusted by something right. at the same time and it seems so that's what you're saying is that's like the like when eminem said the word gay or right. when like you as a teenage boy use the word gay it right. was this it was it as opposed to it being like um <laughs> or even dare i say the word faggot <laughs> right yeah sure it yeah. wasn't the same thing as it wasn't like it's not the same thing about, as when those guys who beat matthew shepherd used it you know that it's not yeah, yeah right that, right you know but it's not exactly it, the same thing but the kind of fascinating thing here though is that the idea that it's not it's also not like conventionally a kind of conventional insult like you would take it right. to be. like right. it's this odd sensation of 
<laughs> which is interesting to associate that with the word gay. I mean, draw your own conclusions, but mm. to be like, hey, like that's gross, but also like it's kind of I cool. could watch that for a while. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, and that's I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just feel like that people living in a very traditional culture, um, even like a traditional Christian or whatever culture here, which, you know, um, I've seen people live in, and, you know, it's like there's elements, if you look at even some traditions in America, like there's elements, you know, like Christian rock. I mean, it's like, well, we're going to go, you know, we're Christians, but we're going to go, you know, scream at a microphone and, you know, do a mosh pit and do all these things that are kind of, you know, at the line, you know? Yeah, and, uh, right. That to me, I guess there's elements of people in a traditional culture seeing something, being repulsed by it, but also thinking, hey, you know, I could live that way, you know? Yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that, but only up to the... <laughs> <laughs> sexuality thing is interesting here because it's right. like it's like it's like like um the way that some hyper masculine men will do something like a circle juror right, right. and it's like the point at which it's like no no it's like the same guys will be like like don't be a faggot right we'll stand around and be like i bet i can get off first come on <laughs> Like, right. and, the, and that being drawn right up to the edge of, of homosexual right. behavior, like that, like that, the appeal of that cultural boundary, like yeah. that transgressive thing where it's like beyond this line, you become something else. You become something you know? else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But to get as close to that line as possible and to step and yep. to tread that line, yeah. um, and to maybe pass over the line, but then walk back and say, I didn't cross the line. <laughs> sure. you know, yeah, exactly. The appeal of that. Uh, right. I, I think you're right. I wasn't sure where the fuck you were going. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually think oh. that's a remarkable, like that's a really lucid deconstruction of this movie on some level. Is, like yeah. the idea that it is about like walking up to that cultural line yeah. And transgressing and not sure it. Go. I mean, not or sure. Not. What's, uh, yeah, yeah. And being drawn to that line, like whether it's a right. line about sexuality or about cultural mores or about mm-hmm. about like like what's ours, like what's what what's right. our culture and what's their culture, what's, you exactly. know? What's the the what's ally, what's enemy here? You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's really interesting to see that in a movie that is so full of allusions to other movies and to other cultures. Like, right. you could almost talk about, like, the boogeyman of cultural appropriation the same way. Like, yeah. how close do you want to get to the line of, like, stealing from them? You know, like, yeah. is this stealing? Or is this, is this, an, is this an homage? It's homage, yeah, yeah, it's a stealing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Homage? 
stealing homage. Steal- ooh, oh, I'm getting pretty close to that stealing line. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, 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 it's still an homage though. Ooh, 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 I'm gonna take just a little bit of Kurosawa. I'm not an Asian director, but I think I can take just a little bit of Kurosawa, and it's gonna be an homage. You know. See, that reminds me of the. Uh, I'm reminded of the Simpsons episode where Homer uh, is on one side of Australia, and he's like Australia, America, Australia, America, <laughs> yeah. and he gets punched yeah. out. Uh, by the guy, and uh, I guess, like, I don't know, I, like, I feel like, um, I guess I feel like uh, somebody, I'm just waiting to see who's going to be the one to punch him out, you know? <laughs> as far as, uh, is this homage or is this feeling? Right, right. There's not, I've never, there, I didn't I look at many of the reviews, but the ones I read the summaries of or whatever the synopsis for it i didn't really see anything about cultural appropriation and that seems like that should be a thing that would come up but maybe it did in some of them but who knows you'll have I mean, to I see know. if vice reviewed it oh yeah I true it is a vice like... films <laughs> Here I am, like, dunking on Vice when they were the only ones who said anything (laughs) about our our visual novel there. But, um, no, I I mean, I I don't know. It is. And there's so much about this. It's, like, transgressive in that way. Mm -hmm. Or that wants to be transgressive in that way. Um, (laughs) And that's another question. But, Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that's a pretty good point to end on. Um, so um, we are going to hopefully do a few more of these. We're recording this one very early in the month of October. Who knows? It might Halloween may have passed by the time you're listening to this. Hopefully it won't have. <laughs> um, <laughs> but depending on how long it takes to edit this podcast but our hope is to do three or four more of these i think we did four movies for our halloween movie marathon last year i think so yeah um and depending on whether we get aj and sarah to participate and throw in a film this year Mm -hmm. we'll have between three and five this year so stay tuned um i'm not sure who's up next but each one of us is going to pick a film and discuss it. Absolutely. So great. So um, yep. happy Halloween, I guess. I can say that now because it's October. Hmm. Um, B-Boy, I know that you were one of those. Well, B-Boy, when does Halloween start for you? November 1st. Midnight. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Halloween starts and ends at the same moment. It's Absolutely. Really it's a continual <laughs> cycle. <laughs> the endless cycle of Halloween. See, AJ and I have had an argument about this. And AJ says that Halloween begins sometime in August. August? Uh, August. Mm, um, fascinating. And uh, I say Halloween begins... If you want to start celebrating Halloween, great. Halloween, the Halloween season begins October first, mm. and um, Christmas, by the way, does not. Christmas season doesn't begin until December first. I won't even give you Black Friday for Christmas. <laughs> really, not Black Friday. Black Friday is part of Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Yep, and um, what better time to celebrate all the ungrateful people in this world than Black Friday? 
Yeah, yep, exactly. Black Friday, the Black Day, which the now starts day, Thanksgiving night, mind you. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. You you've worked ha, now. You've never worked retail in a place where you actually had to open. Uh, did you ever have to open like for Black Friday on Thanksgiving? Uh, not specifically, but uh, my former company, we did not close on holidays, so. We were already there on Thanksgiving, and our sales started on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, shit. There is nothing in the world to me that is sadder than a day that is supposed to be celebrating everything that we are thankful for. And the first thing you see at 730 in the morning are people lined up outside trying to get the rush on these first day sale deals. When they should be at home cooking a nice family dinner to celebrate with the people that they care about. And that is probably the most oddly jarring, humanistic, family <laughs> appreciating thing that you will ever hear me say. Because that's not me that. at all. But the sentiment is there for many people. And that's what that day is supposed to represent. Mm. I um and instead it's all it's consumerism. Yeah, let's buy our shit now. Get my shit. I don't go outside on Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, I there's no point. I mean, hell. I mean, I just you just if you want something, pre-order it and what? get it. And if you don't, what if you want a TV the... for like a hundred dollars? It's like thirty-two inches or more. <laughs> Why? Why do you want that? Because it's a hundred dollars. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm. I have. I. I don't know. I. I don't know. I just don't. I don't care. I just don't care. I don't care. What? And you know what? This year, Smash Brothers won't even be out by Black Friday. So yeah, Black I know. Bullshit. Well, Rudy, you're gonna stand in line to get in one of those Smash Brothers bundles that has the download code. That you can't oh. use for another two weeks. <laughs> oh, well, if you can't use it, then nah. Nah. Damn. I would totally stand in line to get the bundle if you could use the code immediately. If you could use the code, or like, so you're a second switch. Yeah, I would buy a second one just to do that. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, well, we're, we're way off topic here. That in the podcast we are. Here we are. Already too long. So... Um, I'm going to end it there. Um, if you're listening, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and tune in next time. <laughs> I can't decide. Should I dance or should I die? I, I can't decide.